Hi guys, welcome back to the Mystery Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. Please welcome to the show this morning, the famous actor who appeared in many Broadway shows and many films such as Gaslight, Duel in the Sun, Journey into Fear, Mr. Orson Welles' two classic films, Citizen Kane and the Magnificent Ambersons, Shadow of Doubt, Portrait of Ginny, The Third Band, and many others, Mr. Joseph Cotton. Mr. Cotton started his career out in the late 19, early 1940s. But what a lot of people may not know is that Mr. Cotton also appeared behind the microphone in many so shows such as Lux Radio Theater, The Campbell's Playhouse, Suspense, and many others. But this morning, Mr. Cotton comes to the show to chill our spines. In this first episode, he plays a man who is one day in his living room at his apartment when he stops his maid from finishing her cleaning task and then all of a sudden sees a woman suddenly sees something in the window at across the apartment complex in two elderly women's home being concerned that is it is a dead person he ends up frightening the ladies so bad that they end up vacating their apartment that they've lived in for many years but towards the end, he ends up putting the thing in the window and ends up killing someone he was very close to. And it is called A Thing in the Window. And it appeared on the old time radio show Suspense. And in the second episode, Mr. Joseph Cotton plays a man who is all of a sudden in the middle of a lover's quarrel with his girlfriend when he all of a sudden breaks up with her. So she ends up getting mad at him and then he returns a favor, picks up a candlestick and hits her on the head with it. As she's bleeding on the floor, he thinks that he had killed her. So he starts putting together scenarios of how he can um, get away with her crime. He's a lawyer himself, so he knows the drill. But unfortunately for him, the girl ends up unharmed. But he does end up killing someone towards the end of the episode. And it is called crime without passion and it appeared on the old time radio show suspense as well i hope you guys enjoy mr joseph cotton in two episodes guaranteed to chill our spines if you like the show please comment and subscribe guys and enjoy the show thanks Yes, Roma wines taste better because only Roma selects from the world's greatest wine reserves for your pleasure. And now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines present Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton in The Thing in the Window. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense. 
Radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. For friendly entertaining, for delightful dining. Tonight in our suspense theater, we bring you the premiere of the newest suspense play written by Lucille Fletcher, the author of such distinguished radio dramas as Sorry, Wrong Number and others. But before we ring up the curtain on tonight's play and on the performance of our star, Joseph Cotton, let me make a suggestion. Why battle last-minute Christmas crowds downtown when the perfect gift is as close as your nearest wine merchant? Give magnificent grand estate wines favored by discriminating wine users everywhere. From a single assorted case of Grand Estate Wines, you can make several distinctive gifts and provide Grand Estate Wines for your own holiday dining and entertaining, too. To give or serve, America offers no finer wines than Grand Estate. For Grand Estate Wines, presented by Roma, America's greatest vintner, are limited bottlings born of choicest grapes then slowly guided to rich taste luxury by ancient Roma skill and America's finest winemaking resources. This Christmas, for good giving, for good living, offer all five Grand Estate California wines. When entertaining, serve medium sherry, ruby port, or golden muscatel. For gracious dining, burgundy or sauterne. Say your Merry Christmas smartly with Grand Estate Wines, the crowning achievement of vintner skill. Yes, right now, a glassful would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Mr. Joseph Cotton as Martin Ames in The Thing in the Window, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Turn that vacuum clean off for a minute, will you? And come over here. I want to show you something. Yes, sir. Right here, out this window. Now, look across the street. No, directly across uh-huh. the opposite apartment. See that window? About three windows in from the left uh, with the kind of blue draperies? Uh-huh. There's someone sitting there in a chair. He hasn't moved all night. I think he must be dead. Dead? Lord of mercy, Mr. Ames. Take a good look at him and tell me what you think, Mary. Okay. But I don't favor looking at a corpse, Mr. Ames. It's unlucky. Now, which window did you say? Third one over. Hmm. Oh, I wish I had me glasses oh, with me. there, right there. Where are my fingers pointing? Oh, I'm afraid I don't see it yet, Mr. Ames. Oh, look, the, the window with the blue draperies, he's wearing a sort of a gray suit. The arm, can't, can't you see the arm hanging down over the side of the chair? No, sir. Uh, but you've got good eyes, Mr. Ames. If you see it, I'm not arguing with you. Uh, what are you going to do about it? I don't know, I... Just began to notice it last night. I guess I first have to be sure the man is really dead. That's right, Mr. Ames. You don't want to get yourself into any trouble. Uh, maybe he's only sleeping, or maybe he's incapacitated. Maybe the poor soul's a stricken invalid, huh? Maybe. I'm Martin Ames. Are you the superintendent of this apartment house? That's what it says on the door. I've come to inquire about one of your tenants. Yeah, what is it you want to know? I live across the street and, uh... Well, I'll be frank with you, sir. I've been looking out of my window across to this building now for two and a half days and there seems to be someone dead in one of the windows. Eh? Which window? It's the tenth floor. I've counted up from the street and it's ten stories up. There's a window with blue draperies about three windows in from the left facing toward me, that is, and there's a man sitting there, slumped down in a chair. Ah, just a minute. I'll get out my chart. And floor up from the street, huh? Well, that's really the ninth floor. The lobby counts one. We got two apartments along the front of the house. It's in the front, yeah? That's right. Ah, now. Three windows in from the left, uh, that'd be 9B, a four-room. Ah, that couldn't be right. 9B is two ladies. You say this is a man? Yes, the face isn't clearly visible, head slumped forward, but he's wearing a gray suit, and 
He's sitting in a high wing-back chair. Uh, I don't poison. Well, maybe he doesn't belong in the house. Maybe he was visiting somebody. As I say, this is all conjecture, of course. He may not be dead, but I've watched him a good deal. Uh, I'm home a lot in the daytime. My profession, uh, the stage, doesn't take up too much of my time. And well, it looks mighty suspicious. Okay, I'll check on it. Mind if I stick around? Oh, no, no, sit down. I'll give 9B a ring first on the house phone. Oh, Miss Landis? Yes, this is Miss Landis. Who is this? Oh, this is Mr. Anson, the super. Uh, everything all right up there, Miss Landis? Everything all right? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Okay, Miss Landis. Thanks very much. Thank you. Well, that's that. No soap on 9B. 9A is in the country. Well, anyway, if I got the window straight, like you said, it ought to be 9B. The two single ladies? Yeah, only it couldn't be them. They're real old maids. They've been living in the house for years. Real old-fashioned type, you know. Say, if they knew you thought there was a man in that apartment, oh, the two of them would just about jump out of their skins. Oh. Well, I I don't know what to say. You're sure it must be that apartment? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the place, all right. But you probably just made a little mistake. You know how your eyes can play tricks on you? After all, it is a pretty wide street. I don't think I made any mistake. Hanson speaking. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Hanson. Uh, this is Mr. Ames. Again? Uh, it's not there. But, Mr. Hanson... I checked up on the two apartments this morning. 9A is back from the country. Everybody's okay. And 9B is out walking the dog. No dead bodies in the whole place. But I can see it. It's still there. Okay, just where? Will you just tell me where? In the same window. The one you said was 9B. Have you gone inside 9B? No, no, but I asked them if anybody was sick or dead, and they said no. You asked them? Well, why don't you search that apartment? What do you mean, break in while they're out? No, search it while they're there. Ring the bell, walk in, and do it. Yeah, not without a search warrant from the police. These apartments, you know, don't belong to me. I just take care of the building for the company. Then let's call the police. Oh, not me, mister. I didn't see no dead body up there. Then I will. After all, somebody's got to do something. I still maintain, officer, these two sisters are as refined ladies as you could find anywhere. High class, nice, church-going ladies. I used to teach school up here at PS33. Yeah, well, that don't mean a thing. As it happens, there's a play on Broadway right now in which two nice old ladies commit murder after murder. They got a dog in there. Now, will you tell me one dog that would stay for almost a week in a flat with a dead person? I'm not telling you anything. All I know, this gentleman, Mr. Ames, here reported a stiff over here. And if he says there is one, there is. Until it's proved different. Right, Mr. Ames? Well, I keep seeing the thing day in and day out. I'm not working at the moment and... Being home so much. None of the other neighbors have complained. Dead bodies ain't exactly... Oh. It's uh, right this way, please. I hope they're home. If they ain't home, you got a passkey, haven't you? Oh, yeah. We're not supposed to use it, though, unless for an emergency. This is an emergency. Uh, a dog bite? Sometimes. Yes? Who is it? I'm awfully sorry, Miss Landis, but there's been some kind of mix-up. Uh, these two gentlemen want to look over your apartment. But why? It's not for rent. Oh, I know. It's just, uh, well, they, they want to search around and check up Come on, on uh... come on. Cut out the palaver. Hey, look, lady. A dead body's been reported sitting in one of your windows. What? Yeah, yeah. This guy lives across the street, and he's been seeing it over here for a week. Oh, oh so come on. Now, open up. A dead body... Oh, but that's impossible. My sister and I live here all alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know all about it. Excuse me a minute. I'll call my sister. Uh, Vivian? Vivian? Oh, come on. Vivian? Hey, look, lady. I'm not standing out here all day. Come on, give me the passkey, Anson. It won't do no good. They got a chain on the door from the inside. Open up in the name of the law. How do you do? I am Vivian Landis. May I ask what this is all about, please? Certainly, lady. I got a search warrant here made out by this gentleman to search your place. He says you got a dead body in there. A dead body? Why, that's perfectly ridiculous. Yeah, isn't it? But it's been reported. And kindly take that door off the chain and let us through. Of course. First, may I ask, how did this peeping Tom see into our apartment? I thought, Mr. Anson, that we were quite private. Well, you Look, see... he lives across the street on the same level. I just happened to be... Oh, well... 
then we shall have to keep our shades down in the future. Although one would think a grown man would have something better to do. Do come right in, gentlemen. Make yourselves right at home. Thanks. Is he coming in here too, Mr. Busybody? No, he doesn't have to if you don't want him. Well, to. I most definitely don't. Okay, Mr. Rames, you better stay outside. Uh, officer, I will... Oh, he does want to poke around in our private rooms, is that it? Maybe he had some ulterior motive in worming his way in. Maybe he's come to, to get the lay of the land and uh... so he can break in someday to, to rob us. Okay, okay, he's not coming in. Now, let's take a look at your window. <laughs> Yes, officer. Now, what's the big idea? You didn't find it? No. That's very strange. Yeah? The only thing strange about it is your eyesight. You want to get your glasses changed. There wasn't anything in 9B? No. I don't understand it. How could I have seen it so distinctly and it's not there? But perhaps it isn't in the window now. Perhaps they hid it while we were waiting outside the door. Hid it? Hmm. Now, where do you hide a dead body in a four-room flat? I looked in all the clothes closets, under the sofas, in the chest. Perhaps they got it out at the back, into the service elevator. Single-handed? With all the garbage cans and, and laundry going up and down? Perhaps they had accomplices, Brad. Oh. <laughs> you probably think... Uh... Oh, it's so terrible to, to keep seeing it and seeing it and feeling it slowly decaying there in secret... Why, the thing could be there for weeks. It's so high above the streets. Perhaps it'll never be found, but perhaps it's already being destroyed. Well, then, if it's gone, what do you got to worry about? You don't have to sit and look at it no more. No, I... I, I hope it is. I I tell you, it's really getting me down. I haven't slept for nights keeping vigil. I'm I'm in a nervous state. I, I, I haven't been, been this nervous in years. Yeah, I can see that. Well, look... Why don't you try forgetting it for a while, huh? Try not to look over into that window. Or uh, go away for a change. You've done what you could, Mr. Ames. If there is a stiff over there, well, that's my business, ain't it? And if there isn't... You mean, you think I'm... I may be... I'm not saying nothing, Mr. Ames. But if I was you, I'd try catching up on my night's sleep. Miss Landis, I, I'm sorry to disturb you at this time of night, but I really, I'm desperate. I, I haven't anywhere else to turn. What? Who is this? This is Mr. Ames, Martin Ames, your neighbor, the one across the street. I was in your apartment yesterday morning with the police, or rather, I was almost in your apartment. Your sister wouldn't let me in. Oh. Now, please don't think me a pest, Miss Landis. I, I don't mean to annoy you. It was only because I was, I was so desperate that, that I initiated that search. It's quite all right. Goodbye. No, no, no. Please don't hang up because it's worse now than it ever was. Miss Landis, I, I've been sitting here opposite your apartment staring into your windows and I, I... I'm only asking you to help me, Miss Landis. Help me just a little. Help you? It's still there, Miss Landis. What is still there? The dead body in your window. Oh, but there isn't. How dare you? When the police... I know, I know. I know now it hasn't anything to do with you. But would you do me just one favor, Miss Landis? Would you go into your living room and just check once more? Oh, I won't. I'll do nothing of the kind. You're out of your mind. Oh, perhaps no. I am, Miss Landis. That's what I'm trying to find out. Then perhaps your sister Vivian would help me. She's not at home. Oh, Lord. And anyway... I don't see how you can see in. I pulled the shades down in there yesterday morning. I know. They're all down still. Well, then how can you see? I can't. At least not the actual body. It's just the silhouette. I'm not maligning you or your sister, Miss Landis. If there's someone dead in there, it's, it's not you who are doing it. But think of me. Oh. If you could just be here and look over there and see the shadow of those quiet fingers, that shoulder... That head. Oh, please! Stop it! Stop it! It's not here! It is. Tell me just one thing, Miss Landis. Uh, there is a chair by that window, though, isn't there? There's, there's a chair. Uh, a high backed wing chair. Mm hmm. And 
Have you anything on it? Anything piled up? I mean, like curtains or cushions or dressmaker's dummy? Or, oh, of course not. Or, or do you have a plant in the window in front of it? Some kind of a odd table? Anything? Anything that would cast a shadow like a, a man's head slumped forward or an arm hanging limp? No. Then would you do me just one more favor, Miss Landis? Please, please, as an experiment, would you just go into the living room and move that chair from the window, please? I... Uh, if I do it, will you stop pestering us? Yes. Will you let us alone forever? Yes, yes, if it works. If it works? What do you mean? What I, do you mean? I can't tell Miss Landis until you move the chair. Oh, all right. Yes. I moved it away from the window. It's at the other end of the room, and there's nothing in it. It's empty. Oh, I see. Well, thanks very much, Miss Landis. I, I know what I have to do now. You mean? Yes, Miss Landis. It's still there. Where is it? I want to see it at once. Oh, yes, Miss Landis. Come in. I, I hope you'll excuse my appearance. I've just passed another sleepless night. So has my sister, and so have I. What do you mean by all this business, Mr. Ames? You have frightened my poor sister nearly to death. I... Seeing things that aren't there when you you know that they're not. I know they're not. Oh, oh I wish there weren't. I wish to heaven I'd never looked out that window. I wish those walls were solid stone and your walls... Oh. You are a sick man, Mr. Ames. Oh, am I? I wish I were, but I'm I'm perfectly sane and well. I went to a psychiatrist yesterday and... Guess what he told me? That there's nothing wrong with me, nothing. I can't believe that. Oh, to you, I suppose it's a form of madness to persist and persist in seeing this hideous image... But not to me, Miss Landis. No. I finally come to an entirely different conclusion. And what is that? The supernatural. The supernatural? A ghost? What nonsense, Mr. Ames. Yes, I suppose it is nonsense to you. You've been a schoolteacher. Yes. You believe in logic and common sense, the things that give a pretense of solidity to this frail little life of ours. But I'm an artist. I've always had a feeling for the... Thing beyond the intangible, the shadowy. We're children, Miss Landis. Children playing along the edge of the ocean. We laugh and toy with the waves and mock fright. But sometime, sometime one of us slips down into the darkness. Sometimes the depths rise and we glimpse the yawning fangs of the eternal. Well, you, you put things rather oddly, Mr. Ames. Just exactly what do you mean? Simply this. I checked on that building with the real estate agents yesterday afternoon after I'd left my psychiatrist. And there was a murder. Um, in our apartment? Well, the report didn't say. You know how they try to hush those things up. But it was a man, a young man. The lover of one of the tenants, a, a Miss Sweetser. Sweetser? Hmm. Why, that, that's the name of the people who lived there before us. Oh. But, uh, they were an elderly couple, Mr. and Mrs. Sweetser. I, I never saw any Miss Sweetser. She died. She was the daughter. She killed herself afterwards by jumping out one of the windows. Oh, perfectly awful. It's rather a ghastly coincidence, isn't it? Was it out our window? Who knows? She must have been a very neurotic person, though, this Miss Sweetser. Half-crazed almost with love or jealousy. I checked on the details in an old newspaper. She cut his throat, nearly decapitated him. And it said that when they lifted his body out of the chair later, his head almost rolled. Excuse me. Mr. Ames, I'd, I'd rather not hear. I, I still can't believe if... 
If there is something, if there could possibly be something, why haven't we seen it, too? Why should you Haven't be... you seen it, Miss Landis? No. You sure? I... Never? Perhaps in the middle of the night, getting up and passing that room, seeing that chair outlined against the window, just, just in passing, perhaps? You've never had a glimpse? No, no. I, I really must be going. No, no, no. no. Please stay in. Look at it. I want you to see it out no. of my window. My my sister Elaine, she's very nervous, Mr. I can't leave her so well, long alone. Then how I'm... will I know? How? Well, Miss Landis, I, I no. thought you came here especially. It, it'll only take a minute. Look, really... It's right in here in the bedroom. I just have to let up the Venetian blind. Oh, Miss Landis. Don't go. Miss Landis. Hello. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This is Ames, Martin Ames. I just called to let you know. I think you're right about that good night's sleep. Yes, I'm going away tomorrow for for a long rest, shutting up my apartment. Yes, I'm all, I'm all tied up in knots. I, I, I don't know what to think. Oh, they did. Yes, I saw the moving van in front of the house, but I, I, I didn't know it was those sisters. Couldn't take it, huh? Well, I can't take it much longer myself. Well, Marty, bravo, bravissimo, boy. Not so loud. Why, all the mystery. Superintendent, uh, he doesn't like me. <laughs> I should think he wouldn't like you grabbing this beautiful apartment right from under his nose. He probably had it promised to a friend. <laughs> but you've got it now, Ronald, just as I said. Oh, so I have, old boy, so I have. And it's beautiful. You know, I'm crazy about it. Marty, you've outdone yourself. You've been more than generous. I'll take nothing of it, Ronald. I'm glad to do it for such a distinguished colleague. Well, it certainly was nice of you. And I wish I could do something in return, Marty. I really do. Oh, no. uh, perhaps that play I'm doing next season. You know, there's a part in it. It's a rather small, small part, but very necessary. Oh, thanks, I... just the same. But I'm doing pretty well just now, Ronald. Oh. Well, I don't know how you found it, Marty. In this housing shortage. Oh, I... You know, why even the superintendent didn't know it was for rent? When your call came to my manager, I left rehearsal. I wouldn't trust it to anyone but myself. <laughs> I left the whole cast just standing there when I came over. <laughs> and when I asked this gloomy character, Anson, he said he'd heard nothing about it. I insisted, of course. I told him who I was. Finally, he called up. Sure enough, it seems these two sisters who lived here just decided to move on. <laughs> really? Well, say, I hope you didn't mention my name, though, if Anson known it. I tipped you off. Oh, no, no, no. You asked me not to. Anyway, I think my own name is enough. Oh. Seriously, Marty, how did you know? Were they friends of yours? Oh, no, no. It's a rather long story. Here, let, let's sit down, oh. shall we, in the living room. Uh, oh, no, no, no. You take the chair. I oh. guess they must have left that when they moved out. No, thank you. Well, to be frank, Ronald, I got this apartment by a ruse. A ruse, Marty? What kind of ruse? Oh, pretty nasty one. I... I frightened the last tenants away. I, I told them I saw a dead man sitting here in this window. <laughs> no, 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 not really. How clever of you. Of course there was. Oh, no. You, you see, I live across the street, directly across, in that apartment there with the striped curtain. Oh. One night, just sitting there late, I got an amusing thought. There was a kind of shadow across this chair, the one there that you're sitting in. It reminded me a little bit of a corpse. And it came to me that... It might be fun to create a great part, a character, a corpse that wasn't there. Well, I don't follow you. Quite. Some actors need a play, Ronald, to create a role. Others, the great ones, work out their own dramas. Uh. I proceeded to invent a part for myself. I was the eyewitness, the innocent bystander across the street who saw a corpse in here. And I kept seeing it and kept seeing it. And finally, by the power of suggestion, it became real enough to frighten them away. <laughs> Very clever. Wasn't it rather drastic? Though? I'd always hoped we'd be neighbors, Ronald. As a matter of fact, the whole idea for this thing came to me that day in October when you turned me down for that part outside of Sardis, remember? Oh. You said you were looking for a place then. Oh, did I? Oh, yes. It was then I thought how nice it would be to see you right across the street, sitting in this window, 
I simply had to bring it about. Well, I have... No, 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 Ronald. Don't get up yet. I'm not through. <laughs> really, old boy, I'm afraid the gang at the theater, you know, they, they don't even know that I'm here. They'll they... wait. Uh... People always wait for you, don't they, Ronald? I could call them for you, of course, but the phone's been disconnected. Well, I'm afraid that I'm... Uh, which way's the door, old boy? Now, really, Marty, it's been very kind What's of the you matter? I... Don't you like the apartment, Ronald? Aren't you going to take it after all my work? Oh, oh yes, yes, I like it very much. The door's locked. Yes, Ronald. I... I'm afraid you'll have to find your way out alone. There. That'll keep you quiet. <laughs> Silence always became you better than all that ratting and glibness and charm, Ronald. <laughs> and now I've got the part for you. A part to end all parts. You play it entirely in a chair. There isn't much action, not a line to say. You just sit, Ronald. You sit in this chair by the window. It'll be the greatest performance of your career. You liked to hog all the fattest roles for yourself, didn't you? Well, this is a part that's been talked about up and down the street for weeks. You'll play the part of a ghost. A corpse that never was. A hallucination in my brain. And who'll be your audience? I will. I, the insignificant outmoded ham who wouldn't, wasn't fit to appear in your precious plays. But good enough to put you here, Ronald. <laughs> Who's the better actor now, Ronald? <laughs> Goodbye, Ronald. See you across the street. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Roma, America's favorite wines. And now this is Ken Niles with a curtain call for the star of tonight's play, that perennial suspense favorite, Joseph Cotton. Joe, tonight marks your seventh appearance on Suspense in less than three years, making you our all-time champion guest. <laughs> no cotton shortage on Suspense, I can't. <laughs> And no shortage of suspense when cotton's on hand, either. In appreciation of those seven stellar performances, here's a Christmas present for you, Joe. Please accept this gift basket of Grand Estate Wines from your host, Roma, America's Greatest Vintner. Thank you, Ken. And you're an outstanding host this Christmas when you serve these magnificent Grand Estate Wines. For Grand Estate Wines reflect the host's desire to offer only the finest. Grand Estate Wines delight the most discriminating guests, whatever the occasion. I'll remember that, Ken. And don't forget, Grand Estate Wines make ideal gifts, friendly, thoughtful gifts, in perfect taste. Yes, for gift or guest, America offers no finer wines than distinguished Grand Estate Wines. For the holidays, keep on hand all five Grand Estate California wines. When entertaining, serve medium sherry. Ruby Port or Golden Muscatel. For gracious dining, Burgundy or Sauterne. Each limited bottling of Grand Estate wine, carefully selected by Roma, is a wine outstanding in rare taste pleasure. So this Christmas, give or serve the finest Grand Estate wines, the crowning achievement of Vintner skill. Well put, Ken, but I must know one more thing. What about next Thursday's show? Well, it's a double threat show with the honors going to two distinguished ladies. It's called Philomel Cottage. The author is England's number one feminine mistress of the art of suspense, Agatha Christie. And our star will be the most provocative European leading lady to visit our shores in many a moon, Miss Lily Palmer. Well, I've never missed a suspense show yet, and certainly next week sounds even more intriguing than usual. Good night. Good night, Joe. We're all looking forward to seeing you and David Oselznick's production, Duel in the Sun. Next Thursday, same time, you will hear Miss Lily Palmer as star of Suspense. Produced and directed by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California.
Stay tuned for the thrilling adventures of the FBI in peace and war, following immediately over most of these stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Now, Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Roma Wines presents... Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you the David O. Selznick star, Mr. Joseph Cotton, in Crime Without Passion by Ben Hecht. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills, is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Those excellent California wines that can add so much pleasantness to the way you live, to your happiness and entertaining guests, to your enjoyment of everyday meals. Yes, right now a glass full would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Joseph Cotton in a remarkable tale of... Suspense. She had phoned me to come over to her apartment. She wanted a showdown. Well, I wanted a showdown, too, and so I went over to her apartment. And after all the time I've given you, why, everybody thinks we're engaged to be married. Now you're trying to give me the go-by just like that. The girls in this show, what a laugh they'll hand me. Who do you think you are, anyway? Now, now, come and watch your temper. To think, to think I've been such a fool. Earl Wilson and Winchell and just everybody. Won't they give me the rat in their column? Mm-hmm. And the rest of the bunch around the El Bravo. Well, when they get through with me, I'll probably lose my lead in the bird of paradise. <laughs> the nerve! Treating me as if I was a nobody. Where do you get like that taking up a girl's time? She was a dancer at the El Bravo Club. She was number one on the line in the Bird of Paradise number in the floor show. That was where I first noticed her. I looked at her now with complete detachment. I wondered what I had ever seen in this red-headed, illiterate creature with her childish face and muscular legs. How could I have ever considered her charming or desirable? Probably for you. More likely it's Eddie White calling you that dean of collegiate heroes. Oh, yeah? For me, by any mischance, just say I'm not here. Hello? Hello? No, he's not here. I don't know where he is. He's not here. Your office. Always making me lie for you. And as for that crack about Eddie White, you don't fool me, not for a minute. Uh-huh. Don't just stand there and say, mm-hmm, in that smug way. You know very well I haven't been seeing Eddie White. You're just using that for an excuse, aren't you? Well, uh, Well, I do, aren't you? You know all the answers. Sure, I know the answer to that. You're just saying that because you're trying to get rid of me, trying to put me on the escalator. That's what. Well, have it your own way. Have it your own way. What? You... Now, cut that out. Because you uh... you're a lawyer, you can get away with this. I'll show you. Hey, look out. Your photograph in a swell, expensive frame. I'll show you what I think of that, too. You're not going to make a sucker out of me, you stupid. No, 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 not my derby. Your derby, why, I'll smash your face. Uh, uh, stay away from me, Nat. Uh, don't come near me. No, oh, that hurts. That ain't a half of it up. Why, you little... You little vixen, how... I hate you. I loathe you. I hate all of your... Don't you strike me. Don't you dare. Lou, put down the candlestick, Lou. Put it down, Lou. Don't do it. I was suddenly aware of a large brass candlestick in my hand, and on the floor lay Carmen Brown. I leaned over her. Her skull cracked and blood was running from it. Her eyes were closed. I listened. No heartbeat. I was suddenly overwhelmed with the thought that I had committed a murder. I don't think there's a lawyer in New York with more thorough experience in the handling of criminal cases. No. I knew all the angles. I knew the pitfalls of the defense in such a case as this. I knew the psychology of the prosecution. I had unexpectedly and inadvertently been cast in the role of a criminal. Through my mind rushed all the prejudices and difficulties of such a case. And in less than a minute, I had put myself on trial on a plea of self-defense, reviewed the evidence, and found myself guilty. (laughs) 
It's a curious thing. No doubt the public at large, the layman, would expect that some unpublicized and secret professional legal maneuver would be used by the great Lou Hendricks in the present predicament. It would seem, to the reader of crime fiction and the listener to radio mystery drama, that some less hackneyed word than alibi would be the keyword to my puzzle. I am sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I should dearly love to shake some diabolically ingenious trick out of my lawyer's sleeve. But such would be a waste of time. An alibi was what I needed. I needed to establish simply and conclusively that I was not there at the time of Carmen Brown's murder. Time was the important element. Yes, I must begin at once to establish that alibi. suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Joseph Cotton in Crime Without Passion by Ben Hecht. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Between the acts of suspense, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. Do you know the principal difference between American and European hospitality? Well, here's how famed Elsa Maxwell, authority on entertaining, sees it. Says Miss Maxwell, American hospitality is distinguished by its informality. Good friends in America don't need an invitation. They just drop in and take potluck. That's why millions of American families always keep Roma California sherry on hand. Roma sherry is ideal for entertaining. A delicious wine, mellow, fragrant, and medium sweet with tempting nut-like taste. Glorious Roma Sherry is so easy to serve, so good with a simple snack any time of day. And Roma Sherry is popular with men and women alike, preferred by millions as the perfect first call for dinner. Yes, you can serve Roma Sherry proudly, for Roma wine is America's first choice. Yet, Roma costs no more than ordinary wines. So, for better, easier entertaining, get Roma Sherry tomorrow. That's R-O-M-A, Roma Wines. Remember, more Americans enjoy Roma than any other wine. And now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Joseph Cotton, who, as New York's famous criminal lawyer Lou Hendricks, in Crime Without Passion, resumes a narrative well calculated to keep you in suspense. over and glanced at the watch on Carmen's wrist. The dialed glass was broken. The watch had stopped. The hands pointed to two minutes of four. The clock on the desk had just struck four. The telephone. I let it ring. Had to. Of course, the phone made it impossible to establish an alibi by setting the time forward. Other phone calls might come in before five o'clock. Someone, perhaps a maid, might even come to the apartment in person. Through my mind rushed the courtroom scene in which my case would be tried. The prosecuting attorney wouldn't miss that. At 3.50, Carmen Brown was alive. Has witnessed the fact that she answered a phone call which came through the switchboard to her apartment at that time. At two minutes after four, just 12 minutes later, a phone call came through that same switchboard which she failed to answer. Why, gentlemen of the jury? No. What I needed was an alibi for the hour preceding four o'clock, the time at which her watch had stopped. I must provide not only an alibi for myself, but also fortify it with evidence, tending to prove that someone other than myself had done the deed. But how? Fingerprints? They told a graphic story, a story that would reveal that Carmen had been in a rage demanding something of the killer. This would point directly to me, since I was known to have been her admirer and steady caller at her apartment. But if I could make it appear as though the assailant was demanding something of her... He was in a jealous rage that had smashed the articles, including the frame-framed photograph of Lou Hendricks, and it concluded with the killing of Carmen. I wiped the fingerprints carefully from the articles in question with my silk handkerchief. And again, I imagined myself on trial in the courtroom, this time with my defense counsel addressing the jury. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Carmen Brown had undoubtedly been attacked by some other shooter 
who was obviously jealous of the defendant, Blue Hendricks. As witness, the destroyed photograph of the latter. You will also note her assailant was crafty enough to remove all fingerprints. So far, it was good. I had set the scene. I was ready to leave the apartment. But wait, I just remembered. A gun was in Carmen's desk only a few feet from where she now lay. They would wonder why she hadn't defended herself with it. The prosecuting attorney wouldn't miss that. Oh, no. He'd point an accusing finger at me. And yet, Carmen Brown did not reach for this weapon with which she could have defended herself. Why? Was it because the assailant was someone familiar with her? Someone against whom she had no thought of arming herself? Or perhaps because the assailant was familiar with the premises and knew where the gun was and prevented her from reaching it. I took the gun and slipped it into my coat pocket. I would dispose of it later. I took every precaution to make sure that no one saw me as I left the building. My trained legal mind warned me against a surprise witness, which in so many court cases was dramatically brought forth by the prosecutor to confound the guilty. I remembered grimly how some of my best cases had tumbled by the appearance in court of some aimless stray human, someone who happened to have seen the defendant during his presupposed alibi. The prosecutor would have a gleam in his eye questioning such a witness in the courtroom. And you say you saw the defendant, Lou Hendricks, leaving the apartment building shortly after the time of the murder? This must not happen. I had my plan pretty well in mind by now. I took a back shortcut to Broadway, the Palace Theater. It was an off hour. There was not a long line waiting. I bought my ticket and went quickly in. Seats without waiting. Seats in the third aisle to your right, please. The moment I was seated, I got up again. I returned to the lobby up the other side of the aisle and went directly to the lost and found desk. Is there something I can do for you, sir? I wish to report the loss of a pair of gloves. Oh, do you have any idea where they were lost? Oh, somewhere in the theater. I had them when I came in. I'm not usually so careless, but the picture was so engrossing, I was completely carried away with it. And, well, I, apparently I failed to carry away my gloves. Gloves, I imagine they'll be turned in, sir. Oh, I'm sure they'll be found. If you'll just make a record of it. Uh, Lou Hendricks is the name uh, with an X. Hendricks, huh? H-E-N-D-R-I-X, huh? That's an unusual spelling. Family name. (laughs) Well, all right, sir, Mr. Hendricks. If you'll just fill out this blank with your name and address and the time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, to be sure, the time. Let's see, what is the time? It's uh, exactly 20 minutes after 4. I'll record that on the blank for you. After 4? Well, could it be that late? (laughs) Heavens, I had no idea of the time... Quite a long picture. Yes, the picture was a little longer than most. I hope you enjoyed it, sir. Oh, yes, yes, indeed. I enjoyed it very much. It was well worth sitting through. Uh, Well, thank you very much. I had established an alibi for having spent the time between 2.30 and 4.20 in the movie theater. This was a period of two hours, and this was now recorded in black and white at the lost and found desk. I'd taken care of that this should be a movie that I had already seen, so I'd be able to recite the plot in question. The main body of my alibi had been achieved. I now went directly from the movie to my next court of call, Saudi's Restaurant, where I'm well known. How are you, Mr. Hendricks? Your usual table? Yes, Henry. Seen the headlines? No, no, I just came from a movie. Oh, by the way, what is the exact time? I've got to make a telephone call. It's... Just 4.30, Mr. Henry. 4.30. Uh, I think I'll make my telephone call while you make me a chicken sandwich. Okay, the booth is just there, you know. Hendricks, Brown, Walsh, and Healy. Uh, Mr. Healy, please. This is Mr. Hendricks. Oh, oh, certainly, Mr. Hendricks. One moment. Hello, Tom. Uh, this is Hendrick. I've been trying to locate you all afternoon. Oh, what for? Oh, several things came up that needed your attention. Oh, not so hard to locate. Where'd you try? I tried everywhere I could think of, even Common Brown's apartment. Yeah? Did you talk to her? Oh, sure. I was trying to find out if she knew where you were. What time was that? Oh, about uh, 3.50. Well, how did she seem uh, when you asked if I were there? Well, uh, I don't know. Why? 
Well, try and think. I'd like to know. Well, come to think of it, she struck me as a little curt or upset about something. <laughs> upset, eh? Listen, I don't want you to call me at that number anymore, understand? Oh, well, sure, if you say so. I'm all washed up at that telephone number. Understand what I mean? In the future, that number is out. Uh, any other calls? Uh, no. Okay. Again, my mind reverted to the courtroom scene in which I imagined my case being tried. But this time, I had my case well in hand. The thought of facing the prosecuting attorney did not disturb me. The thought of that little bout between the two attorneys even amused me. So, Mr. Hendricks told you that you needn't try to reach him at Miss Brown's apartment anymore, eh? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, when the defendant made this statement to his trusted friend and law partner, he had undoubtedly good reason to believe there was another man in Carmen Brown's life. I had forged another link in the chain of evidence pointing to my innocence. Everything was working out in favor of a perfect alibi for my defense. Everything was going fine. I was beginning to enjoy the case very much. Now that the tension was relieved, I began to look upon my case as a sort of a game. I I began to get a kick out of it, and I conceived the idea of building up another witness. Eddie White was uh, the only one of Carmen's previous amours whom I knew, and I considered for a moment involving him in the case. He was Carmen's previous suitor just before I entered the picture. He was known to be a hot-headed young gentleman given to nocturnal fisticuffs in public places, but uh, I finally dismissed this idea. This witness, I decided, would be Miss Moore, who was also a dancer at the El Bravo Club. She was Carmen's closest friend and confidant. I telephoned this morning and requested her to join me at the restaurant. She came right over. You see before you, Miss Moore, a man suffering from the perfidy of one whom he has loved and trusted. Uh, would you mind saying that again in, in plain English? Well, to put it more simply, I think Carmen has been two-timing me. Miss Moore, I am consumed with jealousy. I must know the truth, and you are the only one who can tell me. Uh, I don't get you, Mr. Henry. Miss Moore, I'm going out of my mind with the brooding and uncertainty of this thing. Oh, oh, that's terrible, Mr. Henry. My law practice is suffering. I'll, I'll wind up by losing all my money. Oh, you mustn't do that, Mr. Hendricks. You know something? No. What is it? Oh, honest, Mr. Hendricks, I wouldn't tell this to another soul... You know Carmen's my best girlfriend. But you're such a swell guy. Well, I think you should know. But to tell you the truth, I don't think Carmen appreciates you. That's what... Miss Moore, if there is another man, someone Carmen really loves, I'd force myself to step aside. It's it's her happiness. Well, I ain't saying she has... I just say Carmen has got an awful swell head since she got the lead in the Bird of Paradise number. She thinks she's some punkin. And I'm only saying I don't think she appreciates a high-class gentleman like you. Thank you, Miss Mora. Have you seen Carmen today? No, I haven't. Have you seen her? No, I... I don't trust myself to see her. Goodness knows what I would do feeling this way. Oh, Mr. Hendricks, you're all worked up. And I don't blame you. Uh, say, I have to leave you. I, I hate to leave, but I gotta go. It's getting late, and the dinner show goes on before long, you oh, know. Tell Carmen I'll be over to the El Bravo tonight and give her a last chance to prove herself. Oh, I'll sure give her your message, Mr. Hendricks. I sure will. I knew Carmen had not been receiving attentions from another man, but if I could get Miss Moore to testify in court, I could use her to convince the jury that I was jealous of Carmen, but that I loved her and wanted her alive, not dead. This would make my case airtight. I then made another telephone call. This was to Carmen's apartment. Hello? Uh, hello, is Miss Carmen Brown in? I'll ring her apartment. Sorry, she doesn't answer. Well, this is Mr. Hendricks calling. Hadn't she been in at all? I've been trying to get her all day. She hasn't come in while I've been here, Mr. Hendricks. How long is that? About three hours. Thank you. I'm coming over there. Tell her if she comes in, will you? This would strengthen my apparent effort to contact Carmen. 
It was a bold stroke, this, to go back to her house. I approached the switchboard operator. Good afternoon, Mr. Hendricks. Oh, has Miss Brown come in since I called on the phone? I haven't seen her. I'll ring her apartment again. She still doesn't answer. Well, please give her this note when she comes back. All right, Mr. Hendricks. I'll see that she gets it. I handed her the note. It read, Darling, don't torture me anymore. Give me a chance to believe you. I'm willing to forget what I heard or thought I heard over the phone. As ever, Lou. This, too, would throw suspicion on another suitor. Not only had I established an alibi for myself, but also I had succeeded in pointing a finger at a suspected rival. <laughs> I saw myself looking winningly at the jury while my defense counsel continued to address them. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if the defendant Lou Hendricks had known Carmen Brown lay dead in her apartment, would he have written such a note? The testimony reveals, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, that the defendant strongly suspected that Carmen Brown was receiving uh, attentions from a suitor, but, but he did not know that this very afternoon this creature had entered her apartment, struck her down, and killed her, while the defendant was still trying to seek her out and forgive her. <laughs> My alibi was now complete. I had every angle worked out. I summed up my case. It was perfect. From my superior legal knowledge, my vast experience, I had built a perfect case for myself. I was very pleased. My case was ready. <clears throat> I had an excellent dinner. Really excellent. I then put in another phone call to Carmen's apartment. I was ready to hear the news of the finding of the body. At the news of the crime, I would rush right over and act my part of the thoroughly grief-stricken suitor. This would be the finishing touch, a final flourish, as it were. Miss Brown does not answer. Crime had evidently still not been discovered. I decided the best course would be to go to the El Bravo Club. I was well known there. I'd go order coffee and dessert and wait there until Carmen's absence was noticed and her murder discovered. Good evening, Mr. Hendricks. Right this way, Oh, sir. good evening, George. Hello there. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Lenore. Hi, Kay. Hello. Hey, Hello. Hello. Blood. Oh, I'm glad you think I'm going to sit around here. Oh, come on. Come on, Bob. Can't you think of anything or... Oh, honey, come on. Let's go home. I oh, not here. Oh, the famous criminal lawyer, Lou Hendricks. Oh, our ex-college hero, Eddie White. Product of the higher education. <laughs> Looking him over, I see. Yeah, why don't I sit here? Well, this is the entertainer's table. I have no monopoly on it. Then I'll sit down. By the way, Hendricks, I didn't know you were such a movie fan. Just what do you mean? So you're going into the Palace Theater this afternoon. You did? Just what time was that? What time? Ooh, a little after four, I should say. You're crazy. You think you saw me going to the Palace after four? Well, I came out at 4.20 after seeing the whole show. I don't care what you say. I saw you going in at a quarter after four, to be exact. I was going to say hello, but you weren't looking my way. How'd you like the picture? Ought to be in your line, all about one of those crooked legal sharks. And you say you saw the defendant, Lou Hendricks, going into the theater at a quarter after four? Yes, sir, I did. The surprise witness that I had been so carefully guarding against. Jerry was, sitting opposite me in the person of all people, Eddie White. In a flash, I could see all the evidence I had planted turning against me. The prosecution would take it apart piece by piece. The all too obvious false mechanism of my alibi. There was no alibi. I, I had no case. Eddie White's simple statement of the time, 4.15, revealed all of my subsequent actions as those of a thoroughly guilty man. <clears throat> Look, White. It must have been somebody else you saw. Listen, don't tell me. I saw you looking around, buying your ticket and ducking in. I know it was a quarter after four because I had a date outside. And don't get excited. It wasn't with Carmen. That's a lie. What's that? I said you're lying. You didn't see me. Oh, that's what you said, is it? Listen, I never liked you, and I don't take that kind of talk off a guy I got no use for. Get that. You're a liar. You're not only a liar, but a, but a numbskull, a perennial drop kicker. 
What's a dropkick or always a dropkick? Oh, you little shyster. Uh, take your hands off my collar. Let me go. Take your hands off me. You're calling me a liar. Huh? You little shyster. You're no good little shyster. Somehow, I don't know how or when, I had taken the gun out of my pocket. Carmen's gun. The gun I was going to dispose of. I was holding it in my hand. It had exploded. No one heard the shot through the blare of the orchestra. A new number of the floor show was starting. Everyone's attention was focused on the dance floor. The chorus girls were coming out for the Bird of Paradise number. Everything was a little blurred, a little hazy. I looked at the girls as they came forward. Leading the chorus, I... I saw Carmen Brown. She was dancing. This... This could not be. I... I grew sick. I shut my eyes. And I opened them again. It was no hallucination. It was Carmen. Under her ear, at the back of her head, I saw strips of court plaster. And I knew then what had happened. I'd left her apartment without taking a second look at her. Evidently, the blow had merely knocked her out. She must have regained consciousness and called for a doctor. It was as simple as that. She was alive now. And dancing. Shining legal intelligence. I had built a perfect alibi to exonerate myself of a murder which had never occurred. While across the table, slumped in a chair opposite me, was the body of a man for whose murder I had no defense. Every step of my carefully built alibi, my perfect case, would help to convict me of the killing of Betty White. This time I had no alibi. This time, there was no possible defense. This time, when the judge asked the foreman if they'd reached a decision, there could be only one reply. Yes, Your Honor, we have. We find the defendant guilty of murder in the first degree. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Before we hear again from Joseph Cotton, the star of Crime Without Passion, tonight's suspense play, this is Truman Bradley for Roma Wines. One of the finest cooks I know recently told me her secret for winning praises. She said she cooks no better than her friends, uses about the same recipes. But her dinners win more compliments, actually taste better, because she regularly serves Roma wine with meals. Yes, Roma wine does make food taste better. For proof, tomorrow night, savor the tempting taste harmony of red Roma California Burgundy and a good thick hamburger steak, or spaghetti heaped with a spicy meat sauce. Or, if you prefer, try Roma Burgundy with Friday's traditional fish dinner. You'll discover Roma Burgundy adds tantalizing new flavor fullness to every meal. Let red, robust Roma Burgundy win compliments for your meals. Get delicious Roma Burgundy tomorrow. Remember, Roma wine is America's first choice. Yet, Roma costs no more than ordinary wines. So insist on Roma, R-O-M-A, Roma wines, made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Joseph Cotton. I've always been particularly fond of crime without passion, and it's been a great pleasure indeed to appear in it tonight for you on Suspense. Next Thursday, I know you'll want to hear a, a very young actor whom we've all admired for a very great number of years. It's Jackie Cooper grown up and just out of Uncle Sam's Navy. He'll appear on Suspense in a role quite different from anything you've ever associated with him. Joseph Cotton will soon be seen in the David O. Selznick Technicolor production, Duel in the Sun. Next Thursday, same time, Roma Wines will bring you Jackie Cooper as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. 
Suspense is broadcast from coast to coast and to our men and women of the armed forces overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. guys that does it for mr joseph kearns and his show his performance on the show for today please join me later on tonight as i bring mr orson wells back to the program to celebrate our one year anniversary of when i started my podcast and stay tuned for later on tonight as I bring to the show Miss Lucille Ball and Richard Denning in the CBS comedy show My Favorite Husband and also stay tuned for tomorrow morning as I bring to the show Mr. Joseph Kearns in two episodes guaranteed to chill our spines I hope you guys have enjoyed my podcast so far and if you like it Please comment and subscribe. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Just type in Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast and it should pull my podcast right up. And once again, guys, thank you to everyone who's listened and subscribed this far. I really do appreciate it. And have a great day, guys. And always remember, enjoy the show. Thanks.